0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to a big Monday edition of Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com. Sitting in one more time for Jason Davis. He's back from vacation tomorrow, and the normal show schedule resumes tomorrow, 9 o'clock here for the web show, 11 o'clock on Sirius XM. <coughs> Excuse me, that's a great way to start the show, isn't it? Uh, we've got two guests today, at least so far. Obviously, we'll we'll have some time to take your calls later. We'll have Brian Sharetta of American Soccer Now, and the New York Times, and we'll have Dwayne Rollins of Canadian Soccer News. You know, we were going to talk about European soccer on this show, but then some things came along over the weekend you might have seen, uh, which reminded us that there's only one soccer league in the world. And so Trevor and I both decided uh, that since we have, we think we have a fair amount of evidence to the contrary, uh, we're not going to talk so much about European soccer on this show. We're going to talk about soccer in the United States and Canada instead. Uh, Let's go through the results from the weekend. There were a lot of them. I'll try to get through them as best I can, as quickly as I can, without talking too fast, hopefully. Major League Soccer first on Friday night. D.C. United 2. New York City FC 1. Frank Lampard scored in the first minute for New York, and boy, did it look like D.C.'s slide was going to continue. But they came from behind with late goals. Fabian Espindola in the 73rd minute, and then Alvaro sabarillo heading in a a spindle of free kick in the 92nd minute to give D.C. a 2-1 win. It was cold. It was rainy. It was miserable. It looked watching on TV like the old days at RFK Stadium, and D.C. certainly needed a little bit of that old magic on Friday night. To Saturday, Toronto FC 3, the Philadelphia Union 1. Toronto FC so close to the playoffs now that, as Kurt Larson put it in his column in the Sunday edition of the Toronto Sun, uh, only an act of God can keep C- TFC from the playoffs now, and there will be a lot of questions, including one to Dwayne Rollins, later in the show of just what that act of God will be. New York Red Bulls 2, Columbus 1, Orlando 2, Montreal 1, Orlando's playoff hopes still alive. Karma, perhaps, after Montreal's equalizer was a bit controversial. Dominic aduro appeared to kick the ball out of Tally Hall's hands before he put it in the net's. Chicago three, New England one. Where did that come from? San Jose one, Vancouver one. Kakuta Mana of the Whitecaps with a chance to win the game in the last minute on a breakaway and he blew it. Kakuta Mana is a great player, but his finishing touch his finishing touch still leaves just a bit to be desired. And I wonder if that will be of consequence in the playoffs. Kansas City one. Portland nothing at Providence Park. That was a big win for Sporting Kansas City and a big loss for Portland, which had so many chances to score. Lucas Milano, their big money designated player striker in particular, with two big chances that he could not finish. Christian Nemeth, though, with a classic rope-a-dope attack goal, uh, slicing through the Portland defense, and poor Diego Chara. Christian Nemeth beat him twice, one-on-one in the same play, The second time so badly that Charles and that was the end of that. On Sunday, Dallas four, Houston one, Dallas clinches a playoff spot. Thanks in part to two fantastic goals by David Teixeira, who will be my vote for MLS player of the week. Colorado losing at home to Real Salt Lake two to one. The Rapids eliminated from playoff contention, but not before Kevin Doyle scored a goal from Sean St. Ledger. And that is how we do things in Major League Soccer these days. Joe Alplata tied the game with a free kick. And then Luke Mulholland won it in the 43rd minute with a fabulous smash into the net. Uh, A goal of the week candidate, except I think Nemeth or Teixeira are probably ahead of him. And the lead held up all the way through the second half. Nick Ramondo preserved the victory with a big leaping punch out uh, of a Colorado chance in the final minute. Seattle won. Los Angeles won. Chad Barrett with the equalizer in the 93rd minute. 56,097 fans in attendance at CenturyLink Field last night. Seattle had 12 shots to LA's 10, 604 completed passes to LA's 358. But it took them until the very last minute to actually put the ball in the nets, which is what matters. And I do have some questions about whether Seattle can beat Los Angeles in the playoffs. And I think at this point, we probably all still do. And unfortunately, the burden of proof lies with Seattle to show that they can do it. And it will until they actually knock LA out. On Friday in the playoff, a Friday in Europe. Let's go to Europe for a few minutes, shall we? Even though I said I didn't want to talk about it too much. Starting in the Bundesliga on Friday, Darmstadt losing at home to Mainz 3-2. to You might have seen it on Fox Sports 1 a game that was consequential primarily because Darmstadt had a penalty kick in the very last minute of second half stoppage time, and Sandro Wagner stepped up to hit it. He put it so far over the crossbar, folks, it landed somewhere in Frankfurt. Saturday, Manchester City 6, Newcastle United 1. Sergio Aguero scoring five times, and friends, I don't understand what it's like to be a Newcastle United fan. I just don't know how it's possible. And I say that as somebody who's lived in Philadelphia for 13 years now, and they're pretty miserable here. Sunderland 2, West Ham 2, DeAndre Yedlin started and played all 90 minutes, but the bigger news was Dick Advocat resigning as Sunderland's manager after the game. You wondered what that means for DeAndre Yedlin's future. And speaking of managers, Southampton 3, Chelsea 1, at Stamford Bridge to my good friend and colleague Colin Kerrigan, on the photodesk at philly.com, if you're listening this morning, I will say again, Southampton 3, Chelsea 1 at Stamford Bridge. Chelsea issuing a statement this morning saying, The club wants to make it clear that Jose Mourinho continues to have our full support. As Jose has said himself, results have not been good enough and the team's performances are must improve. However, we believe that we have the right manager to turn this season around, and that he has the squad with which to do it. I think they're probably right, but I would say this. If Chelsea wants to make it clear that Jose continues continue to have their uh, full support, they should go ahead and do it. These English clubs, you know, they do this all the time. They say they want to or would like to. Just, just do it. You don't have to tell us that you want to, you know. To Spain on Saturday, Sevilla 2, Barcelona 1. Barcelona losing its first game. After Lionel Messi's injury, you wonder what happens from here because of that. In Germany, Borussia Mönchengladbach 2, Wolfsburg nothing. Fabian Johnson starting and playing 69 minutes as Mönchengladbach kept Wolfsburg's potent attack quiet. Ingolstadt 2, Eintracht Frankfurt 0. Ingolstadt's first ever Bundesliga home win, Alfredo Morales, played the last 10 minutes as a substitute. On Sunday, Everton won, Liverpool won. Brendan Rodgers sacked by Liverpool after the game. I am inclined to wonder, folks. I think we all know where Liverpool has been, where they want to get to, how big they are, how good it is for English soccer when they are good. The question I have is how they will get there. And if they hire Jurgen Klopp, who is so good at developing young talent and fitting players to a system and creating a good team that way, even if he gets the resources, will he get the time? That is the question that I have. Swansea City 2, Tottenham Hotspur 2, Christian Eriksen twice bailing Spurs out after Andre A u scored uh, to give Swansea a 1-0 lead and then a Harry Kane own goal put Swansea up 2-1. Erickson tying the game in the 65th minute. I found on Sunday morning a lot of Spurs fans in my Twitter feed who are also New York Mets fans. And that I am sure, it's fairly certain. Being neither a Spurs nor a Mets fan but nonetheless being fairly close to many of them is a pretty miserable existence. Arsenal 3. Manchester United 0 if anybody, and in particular, if any Arsenal fan please saw, uh, let, saw that coming, please let me know. I don't know anyone who did. Alexis Sanchez in the sixth. Mesut Ozil in the seventh. Alexis Sanchez again in the 19th. Perhaps as newsworthy as the fact that Arsenal won was the fact that they made that lead hold up for the entire rest of the game. Treat yourself, by the way. Go to NBCDeportes.com and find Andres Cantor's call of... Arsenal's third goal. Treat yourself to it. It was fantastic. In the Dutch League, PSV Eindhoven, fourth place, going at to first place Ajax, winning 2-1 at the Amsterdam Arena thanks to two goals from Gaston Pereiro. In the Bundesliga, Cologne winning at Schalke, 3-0. Leverkusen and Augsburg tying at 1-1. You have to see, folks. The incredible howler by Bayer Leverkusen goalkeeper Bern Leno I tweeted it yesterday. I'm sure the folks at Howler Magazine tweeted because it's the sort of thing that they were made for. He missed, uh, completely swung and missed at a clearance, and it went right back into his own net. Bayern Munich 5, Borussia Dortmund 1. 18 straight unbeaten games for Bayern Munich played during Oktoberfest, dating back to 2010, as if Oktoberfest wasn't enough as a reason for folks over there to have some fun. Robert Lewandowski with two, Thomas Müller with two, Mario Götze capping it off in the 86th minute. Lewandowski and Götze, of course, who used to play for Dortmund. The one goal for Dortmund, you have to go see because of Thomas Tuchel's reaction gesticulating wildly all over the place as if he was auditioning to be a chef at Benihana or something. Bayern, by the way, have won 42 straight games when Thomas Müller has scored, that courtesy of Our old friend Christian Nayari at Bayern Munich's office in New York, he sent that along to me last night. Napoli 4, Milan nothing at the San Siro. Atletico Madrid 1, Real Madrid 1, Luciano Vieto in the 83rd minute, canceling out a header from Karim Benzema in the 9th. And finally, capping off the weekend in Europe, Paris Saint-Germain 2, Marseille 1. Marseille scored first, Paris Saint-Germain with two penalty kicks, One of the 41st and the 44th, Zlatan Ibrahimović converting both. They were both absolute, no question about it. They were both penalty kicks. Uh, A a foul by Steve Mandanda, the Marseille goalkeeper, charging off his line. And then a handball a few minutes later by a Marseille defender. No doubt about it, uh, Ibrahimović converted both, making him Paris Saint-Germain's all-time leading scorer. And Kevin Trapp uh, held the result up with a penalty kick save of his own in the 55th minute. Those are the results from around Europe, and that, as I drop my notebook on my desk, is enough of Europe. Let us talk about America when we come back with Brian Shiretta, We'll discuss the CONCACAF Olympic qualifying tournament, and we will begin the countdown to Saturday night at the Rose Bowl, the United States and Mexico, for a place in the Confederations Cup. This is Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com.
1: When it comes to the USA against Mexico, this game is different. As Michael Bradley puts it, the passion, the colors, the respect, the hate. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me and Jared Dubois this Saturday for the USA versus Mexico broadcast on Rabble.tv at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the USA versus Mexico game on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before or during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comment section. Or why don't you create your own broadcast? Call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Try it out. Join me and Jared this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for the USA versus Mexico on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call.
2: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com. Sitting in one more time for Jason Davis before he comes back from vacation. He'll be in the chair tomorrow at 9 a.m. the normal time. Here on World Soccer Talk and then 11 o'clock on Sirius XM. We are joined now by Brian Sciaretta of American Soccer Now and the New York Times and Yanks Abroad to talk about American soccer. And uh, it is nine days out from Big East Men's Basketball Media Day, which is a seasonal holiday for both of us. It is five days out from the big U.S.-Mexico showdown at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California for a berth in the Confederations Cup. And we are in the midst of the CONCACAF Olympic Men's Qualifying Tournament. So we have a lot to talk about, Brian. And I would say where Brian is joining us from, except I don't know. So, Brian, good morning. And why don't you tell us?
3: Uh,
4: I am back in New Jersey uh, right now, but I will probably be heading back to Salt Lake for the... um for the uh, important semifinals of Olympic qualifying, uh, and then I will be back in New Jersey again to cover the national team when they take on Costa Rica next game. I won't be at the Rose Battle of the Rose Bowl, but um, you know I think it's important to have a, a media presence at Olympic qualifying as well because I think that's a very important tournament.
2: Well, I'm certainly with you on that. Uh, through two games now of the group stage uh, in the Olympic qualifying tournament, the U.S. pounded Cuba over the weekend six to one two for Jerome Keyswetter, one each for uh, Emerson Hinman. I almost said Shellis Hinman, apologies. Emerson well, Heinman, Cameron Carter-Vickers, Matt Miazga, and Alonzo Hernandez. Brian, I think most folks at this point know about Henneman and Carter-Vickers and Miazga, and perhaps he's in Keyswetter. Why don't you tell the folks about Alonzo Hernandez a little bit?
4: I mean, Alonzo Hernandez has been a guy who's uh, you know, been, in, been with the U.S. youth teams uh, since 2013. He was a late inclusion to the U-20 World Cup team that year. Um, you know, he, 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 was playing first team minutes at the time for Monterey. Now he's on loan in the second division with CD Juarez. Um, you know, I think he's a, uh, he's an okay player. He's, uh, um, you know, hasn't really stepped up and done too much as much as people would have thought he did, was going to do it back in 2013. Most people thought he was going to be a Liga MX regular now. Um, uh, he grew up in El Paso, so he's playing in Juarez very close, lives at home. Um, so, you know, I think it's uh, it's one of those things where it's a, it's a tough situation. And, uh, you know, he came on late in the game, didn't play in the first game. I think he's there more for reserves. I mean, Cuba had largely given up by the, in the second half. They were pretty gassed. I think, and I strongly believe it's going to be tough for Alonso to make the roster for the Olympics if the U.S. team qualifies for that tournament because by that point you're going to have other guys like, uh, you know, Rubio Rubin and, and maybe a few others uh, enter the fold as well. So... But, you know, uh, everyone matters in this tournament. Depth is important. So if he's able to step up now, it's a huge, import, it's a huge value to the U.S. team uh, just getting them back to uh, uh, the Olympics.
2: I'm, I'm particularly happy to see Will Trapp take a leadership role with this team, being influential, wearing uh, the captain's armband, and he's a great player with such a bright future, and I, I really do believe that his time is getting to be right now.
4: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, it's really good to see him respond, um, from the way he has from that concussion that kept him out for three months. He's, uh, since then, you know, you look at what a year he's had. I mean, he made his first full national team cap in, in the January camp, was hurt, missed three months, now he's back and he has, uh, you know, the crew. I was, I was, you know, my article, I sat down and interviewed him for a while at Kansas City at the time. Uh, the crew were, you know, um, in the contention for the for the supporters' shield. I I think la, uh, that's really unlikely now after Saturday. But still, I mean, they're in, they, they could win. They could still win an MLS Cup. They got a lot of valuable tools. So he's a starter on a very good club, and now he's the captain of the Olympic team. You know, Olympic qualifying team. I think he'll still be the captain if they get to uh, Rio. So I think it's uh you know he's really stepped up nicely since that uh, concussion setback and. Definitely a worthy captain and a guy that the team really rallies on. On the field, you know, he plays. The, they've been going with more of a diamond kind of a mid midfield in the first two games. Mm-hmm. He plays at the base of that diamond. I think, you know, that you know, I don't know if that's the best role for him. I don't know if he has like the you know the defensive. Um, he's a good defensive player, but the physical uh, edge to play with that that role. But I mean, his passing is sublime. I mean, he had a terrific assist in the first game. It was just absolutely a tremendous pass to Jordan Morris over the top of the defense, so he's playing very well. Good player, um, and I think he, having him playing well heading into that semifinal is crucial.
2: You know, I got asked on the show last week who I think the three overage players will be if they qualify for the Olympics, and I said I don't know, but I would hope. I mean, look, I'm sure they'll pro- I, Usually the tradition is there's a goalkeeper and a striker, and then they pick somebody else. Mm-hmm. I, my hope would be... And my expectation, frankly, would be not that I can read Andy Herzog's mind, but my expectation would be that they would pick some players who would be important players, but who would not overshadow uh, the leadership of Will Trapp or take the armband away from him. But who would who would know to to slot in with him, you know, alongside him, and let him continue to be the the be the captain and be the leader.
1: Yeah, I mean, I
4: think a big thing about the overage is going to come down to whether or not how. You know, much of the said Copa America Centenario um, materializes. Um, if if the Copa Centenario is is in fact going to move ahead, I think you're going to see um, uh, the best players with the Centenario, and then the overage players become more fringed. Guy, I think. With um, uh, if the Centenario does not materialize, uh, and there's still questions, um, then I think you probably get see the best group possible if they make it to the rio um i think that there probably will still be a goalkeeper i mean why not i mean i think if you have my you know i have nothing to suggest this no inside information no nothing but i have a hunch that it wouldn't surprise me if like if tim howard for example is, is, is on that team i mean uh, is an overage goalkeeper i mean if you have brad guzan as the number one for the national team which um you know uh you know, Klinsman has at the moment. If that's still the case, why would you, you know, use a backup role on Howard when you could bring him to the Olympics? I mean, he was the, uh, he was the, uh, um, the U23 goalkeeper in 2000, and then they brought an overager by the name of Brad Friedel, uh, to Sydney. And so Tim Howard never played in that tournament, only served as the backup. So it's, um, you know, a couple different options that they could use. And I think, yeah, they will probably use a forward. Depending on who it is, and um, and then probably you know more of a box to box or wing kind of a guy, midfielder, but it's still so far off. It's really tough to speculate.
2: You know, you mentioned Tim Howard, and even even if for the purpose just of just being able for the the time off the field that he would spend with Zach Steffen, I would imagine that would be an enormous benefit.
4: Well, I mean, I'm not even sure if Zach Steffen is the, is the number one right now because Ethan Horvath is joining the team uh today, um, from Mulda and he's Molda's oh, really? number one and he's yeah, and he's he, and he was the um the Europa League uh, uh goalkeeper of the week. Um and he was into the Europa League team of the week as the goalkeeper last week for his play against Ajax and then you know and then he went down then Molda went down to Turkey and beat Fenerbahce three to one in the opening the group stage opener. Um so he's playing very, very well and I asked Andy Herzog after the Cuba game if Zach Steffen is still the number one on this team, you know, as they build toward that important semifinal, and he didn't give a straight answer. He kind of dodged it a little bit and said it's tough choices. He's got some really good goalkeepers. So, you know, Stefan's a great goalkeeper, and he's coming off a great U-20 World Cup. The thing is, is right now, you just you the last three months, you just can't ignore them, what Ethan Horvath has done for MOLDA in Norway and playing in Champions League qualifiers and Europa League group stage games. You know, it's... um you know, it's just, he's just one of these young players that's just raising his game right now at the like at the right time, and you might just have to take advantage of it. So, you know, is this this the starter? I just don't know right now. Maybe
2: the standings going into the final round of group stage games: uh, the USA six points, Canada three, Panama one, Cuba one. The USA uh, has qualified for the knockout rounds, but hasn't won the group yet officially. The games on Tuesday night at, uh, and uh, all of the final group stage games in both groups are at Dick's Sporting Goods Park in Commerce City, Colorado. Canada and Cuba at 7, the USA and Panama at 9.30. And the other group, Mexico 6, Honduras 6, Haiti nothing, Costa Rica nothing. Mexico and Honduras are through. The question will be, which of them wins the group Uh, The game's Wednesday night, Costa Rica, Haiti at 7 o'clock, Mexico-Honduras at 9.30. All four of those games, the ones on Tuesday and Wednesday, are on NBC Universo. And if you're the USA, Brian, you cannot play for matchup because you don't know what the matchup is going to be. You have to play to win that game, don't you?
4: Yeah, I mean, most likely, you know, Mexico is the heavy favorite against Honduras. Anything can happen. You're absolutely right. Mexico advances to win their group. They, um... Uh, with a win or a draw against Honduras, Honduras will win the group if they beat Mexico. Mexico team, the Mexican U twenty three team is very good. Um, you know, it's funny; I can't remember the last time the U S. and Mexico ever, you know, made, you know, uh, ever both qualified for the Olympics. You know, unless like one was like the host team. You know, it's whatever they both had to had to qualify in this tournament, and both did. It was it's, it's always seemed to be one or the other, along with another team. Um, so. You know, I think the odds are that the U.S. is going to win their group and Mexico's the odds, but you never know. I think you just got to go out and win it. And, um, you know, it would be nice to avoid Mexico. Um, There's no question about it. Although, you know, Honduras is still a very good team. So it's uh, it's a lot of work to be done. It's a very, very tricky way to qualify Um, because if you lose that semifinal game, it becomes very, very difficult. You have to win the third-place game, then you have to win a playoff against Colombia. You'd rather not go that group. So, um, well, you yes, you have to see how it goes. I think um, uh,
3: it's
4: a, it's going to be really interesting to see how the thing unfolds. But, yeah, I think the U.S. is going to go out there. They're still going to try to rest some players. I think that, you know, you have to – it's a real test of depth. You can't always play your top players every single game, even though, even though every game counts. But I still think you have to kind of play to win. Even if they lose to Panama, you know, Canada has to make up a huge goal differential. So I still think, you know – you look at your top players, and you don't want to wear them out. You look at who's tired, who's not, and uh, you kind of gear things toward that way. I mean, Key Sweater and, 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 Je- and Jordan Morris have have run a lot. They've covered a lot of ground. It, would be, it wouldn't surprise me to see some of those guys maybe perhaps get a rest so that they're at max strength ahead of the semifinal.
2: You know, you talked about Mexico being the overwhelming favorite against, um, against Honduras, except... Certainly raised an eyebrow for me that they only beat Haiti one to nothing with a penalty kick in the 74th minute. I didn't get to watch that game. Maybe you did. What did I miss?
4: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it, it just they they played well. It was just I mean, Haiti was inspired. Haiti's playing Haiti's improving as a soccer country. Um there's no way about it. I mean, Mexico only beat them two nothing. I mean, Honduras was a better team. But uh you I mean, you saw them at the Gold Cup too. I mean, their full national team. They so they had a lot of young players as well. They're they they're now they're no longer the, 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 the doormat that they were that they once were. They're they're emerging as a as a as a significantly improved um, national team. Whereas a couple other teams in CONCACAF like El Salvador, Guatemala have kind of papered um, off a little bit. Um, but you know, kudos to Haiti. Their um, their federation and their overall soccer program is uh, is improving.
2: Let's turn to the senior level and the, uh, the big game Saturday night at the Rose Bowl. The United States and Mexico for a place in the 2017 Confederations Cup. The rosters were finalized over the weekend by CONCACAF. I'll read them for the folks who haven't heard. For Mexico, three goalkeepers, Moises Munoz, Alfredo Talavera, and Jonathan Orozco. Eight defenders, Paul Aguilar, Diego Reyes, Rafael Marquez. Hi. We know him, don't we? Hector Moreno, Miguel Layún, Hector Herrera, Arturo Rivas, and Jorge Torres-Nilo. Midfielders five, Israel Jimenez, Andres Guardado, we certainly know him, Jose Juan Vasquez, Javier Aquino, and Jonathan Dos Santos. And seven forwards, Uribe Peralta, Raul Jimenez, Carlos Vela, Carlos Esquivel, Jesus Corona, Javier Hernandez, and Giovanni Dos Santos. For the United States, three goalkeepers, Brad Guzan, Tim Howard, and Nick Raimondo. Nine defenders, Ventura Alvarado, who, as you might imagine, Brian, we're going to talk about in a minute. Demarcus Beasley, Matt Wiesler, Jeff Cameron, Brad Evans, Michael Orozco, Tim Ream, Jonathan Spector, and DeAndre Yedlin. Seven midfielders, Kyle Beckerman, Alejandro Bedoya, Michael Bradley, Fabian Johnson, Jermaine Jones, Danny Williams, Graham Zusi, and four, uh, four forwards, Josie Altidore, Clint Dempsey, Chris Wondolowski, and Giassi Zardes. Now, Brian, I don't know how else to ask this question, so I'm just going to do it. What does Ventura, What does Jurgen Klinsmann see in Ventura Alvarado that we do not? And I know that Jurgen Klinsmann considers some of us in the public to be less educated about the game than he, and is this one of those examples?
4: I mean, I, I've seen good moments from Ventura Alvarado. Um, it's been a while. But and and I think, you know, he was a starter for a Club America team, you know, through the Mexican the Liga MX playoffs at the very end of 2014, and started in the final and lifted the trophy at Azteca, um, and he started in the CONCACAP Champions League, you know, semifinals and finals. He's played some big games. He's uh, but ever since he's put but his national team games have struggled so far, um, with the one exception of the Mexico friendly. Um, at the Alamo Dome in uh, April. So, yeah, I think it you know you have to wonder why, you know, what he sees, you know, he keeps he keeps backing him and keeps backing him and he keeps backing him. It's not the first time he back a the player then eventually, you know, the player just kind of disappears off into oblivion. I mean, you know, Julian Green is the, it was one example. You hope know, it doesn't go that route. The team needs it needs defenders, but look, he has a he has to eventually he's going to have I mean, you know, Clinton, I think is when he wants to give a player a shot, you know, to his credit, he gives him a shot. Like he's not—he's not a knee-jerk reaction to just to, to remove him from the team. I mean, he lets them play, lets them show what he has. But eventually, there is a shelf life in, in his experiments. Um, and if it doesn't work, uh, you know, they, 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 he has to move on and look at some player, people else, some some other players. I think that you know, Alvarado's shelf life. You know, if he does, he's been not been playing for Club America lately. So, you know, without him doing well for a club and, and, and no real national team performances to kind of show for it, we might be looking at the end of the shelf life here with Alvarado and, and after this game uh, perhaps maybe look at new players. You have January camp upcoming, which is always, always a chance to showcase new players. But, look, I think that the – I've, I've been writing this for a while. I think the player pool has shrunk right now. I mean, there's a reason why they keep the same players going in over and over again despite the fact that other players are starting to raise their game that have never gotten a look and a couple of players who are in the existing pool are fading and they're not even playing with their clubs sometimes, but yet they're still continuing to get looks. It's just how he operates. And, um, you know, I, I think that there's a, there's a desperate need of new blood that, that can contribute, not just, or just more hopeful. So, not just more projects. So, we'll see. Um, you know, January camp in the, in the, in, the, in the, and perhaps the start of Olympic qualify uh, Olympic qualifying. Well, maybe when the Olympic qualifying group like, guys like Matt Miazga, Start raising their game, and then other players ahead of a World Cup qualifying, you might start to see some new names and But this could be the end of the line unless he unless he plays well for the national team and or uh, at Club America.
2: I just can't help thinking that he's going to start. I just cannot get it out of my mind that he's going to start, even though you no, have. I think
4: I think that, I think Paul Kennedy over Soccer America. I mean, he's been around the game for a long time. One so of the yeah. reasons why I got you know Soccer America is one of the reasons why I got into journalism. I used to read that as a kid. Um, made a great point um, he just said uh, you know I think we, you know with the exception of like goalkeepers uh, I think you could see almost the same starting lineup that that Clinton played against Ghana over over a year ago at the World Cup um, Beasley at left back and you know Cameron and Beasler in the middle and, and Johnson at the right back and you know and and you know if it works then he knew, knew the right team all along if that doesn't work then you have to wonder like what has he been doing the last year? Is there is there any new blood? Is it you know is is, is, is there been any kind of uh, why is not he able to improve the team or bringing you know new faces that have worked and and why are we still doing the same thing? Because he said when he got his contract extension that the first cycle was was really finding, laying the foundation and the second cycle is going to be where he wanted to start taking the team and really implementing that vision. But if he's going with the same group of players. That's uh, you know that, that's going to and they don't do well particularly. It, 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 that's why the pressure is going to be on him. It's not that they lose to Mexico because Mexico is very good. It's question is, is is um you know how you play and, and whether or not there's a system, any kind of of progress. And if they lose with the same lineup, it might not be. I,
2: I just I hate to say this, Brian, because it's not entirely fair. I can't trust him. I can't trust that he's going to put the lineup, best lineup on the field in this game because time and again, in games of consequence, he hasn't done it. And you know, I, asked, I asked him when he was here, after the, in the press conference after the Gold Club third place game when they lost to Panama, I asked him if there was more pressure on him now going into this game against Mexico than there has been previously in his tenure. And his answer verbatim was, quote, I don't know. You can judge that. Now, what the hell kind of there be more pressure on this program so that it more closely resembles Europe? And then I put the question to him, and he ducks it. And I have not been able yeah. to get that out of my head ever since then. And I'm not sure I should.
4: Yeah, I mean, I'm not calling for anyone to get fired, but I think that having pressure on um, on the head coach is very good. I mean, look, I'm I I, I understand why it's a it's a tough. Cup- Per gig in your second cycle than in your first cycle. I mean, I thought Bob Bradley and Bruce Arena did great jobs at the national team, but I thought that, you know, Bruce Arena's second cycle was, was pretty bad. You know, particularly, you know, there was all kinds of examples hanging on to players like John O'Brien, hoping he would get healthy when it was clear he wasn't. And I thought that the team came out stale under Bob Bradley in the start of the second cycle. I mean, I was, uh, even though I thought Bob did a tremendous job in, in, his, um, in his first cycle so it's you know and and now Jurgen, you know i you know i think in the second cycle i just don't really know i mean i i i didn't always understand what he was doing in the first cycle but whatever he got to the round, of, he he met his goals won the heck that worked but could it have been more if he, you know with these but the thing is is the second cycle is, is like okay you've been around now for a while you know it, it's, there's a there's a lot of questions about you know where's the team going right now because it hasn't really always looked good. The Gold Cup was a failure, not just the game against Jamaica. I know he talks about they you know upsets happen. It's just how they played in that whole tournament. And the thing is, is like what is the best lineup? You don't know what the best lineup is. I mean, maybe it's the best lineup of your group of of the, of the current pool of players. But has he done enough? Has he done enough to introduce the in, integrate new players into the playing pool? Has he looked at the right players? There's only been two. Players brought into the national team in any kind of significance this year, in Ventura Alvarado and Zarda, is that really healthy enough? Just to bring in only two new players into the system uh, this calendar year? And here's an interesting stat, Jonathan, that you might just that I looked up, I researched, and people can make of it what they will. Uh, I put it out there a couple of times, but under Jurgen Klinsmann, since he was hired, only one player, only one MLS-based player. Has made his national team debut um, in a game under Clinsman in a game that was not part of January camp. Uh, that was Alan Gordon against Antigua and Barbuda. Every other MLS player that's made his national team debut under Clinsman has done so in the January camp. You know that's kind. Of, but now with January camp having guys like you have to bring in Jones, you have to bring in Bradley, you have to bring in Alpdor, you have to bring in all these. First team national team. The, the, the pool is now still, the, the the pathway into the national team among MLS players is a lot smaller, and you know you wonder what. in January camp is a tough time to make an impression too. You're in the middle of off season. Sometimes you want to you know if some guy is doing so well, you want to really look at them. You know it just hasn't been the door hasn't been open to them. It's been more or less the same recurring players. And if you're an MLS player doing well, well maybe we'll get to you in the January camp. And now it's just it's just become it's been, the player pool as a result has shrunk. So you know and that's really been. Uh, taken to a head, really. I guess since the uh, since the last World Cup, so it's this is going to be a real test. A lot hard questions. Unless the US team beats Mexico, um, there's going to be some hard questions asked. And uh, you know, and it, it, this is why Clinton's paid a lot of money. He has to answer them and uh, and provide. He's always said he wants to bring a new direction, but now he's going to. If that happens, he'd have to really come out and address what the direction is because um, it might not be clear to a lot of people.
2: And he doesn't. He doesn't come out and address this stuff. And look, if he if he wants the pressure, he can't run from it. I don't think. And he does mm-hmm. run from it a little bit. I, if he wants the pressure, he has to stand up to it. And I, well, right, you know, and, and if say, he has the pressure, the, go
4: ahead.
2: you know, I said if he's if, you know if he has
4: the pressure, he's gonna you know he, he's gonna make decisions that have to win. You know, you you got to win, and you're gonna have to really think hard about like you know what's what's the bet? I mean, not saying he doesn't want to win, but if you have pressure, you act differently. And
2: well, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to cut you off and I'm going to ask if he believes that he is in a position where he can always be thinking long-term, does he think he have to win right now?
4: Well, that's the thing is, is is what I, what the, what the, what the confusing thing about it is he doesn't have, he doesn't seem to have a lot of pressure. I mean, Sunil Gulati has more or less t- taken the pressure off the table. You know, there's no threat of a job. But then at the same point, too. Why isn't there more experimenting with? Why? Why is the team? Why has Jurgen Clinton the whole summer been saying we really got to get you, you know, DeMarcus Beasley back into the fold? He's a big part of this team. We got to hope he comes out of retirement and stuff. I mean, I love Beasley's a national team treasure, a national team legend. His accomplishments are our second, our second maybe only to like Landon Donovan of the last fifteen years. But that being said, like I mean, why? Why are we at the point when you know you still need to look at so many thirty-plus year old guys? I mean, it, who, shouldn't this you know, it, we're, we're, we're the, are the younger players that much poorer that they can't handle the responsibility of a big game? I mean, look, and throughout Europe, I mean, they they have either you're in Olympic qualifying or not an Olympic qualifying, you're in the European qualifying or you're in uh, World Cup qualifying. There's not that many friendlies, so yeah, new players are getting blooded in young in, in important games all the time throughout the world. So it's just it just seems like right now he's just trying to. Um, uh, clutch onto whatever he has but at the same point he doesn't have pressure so he's making pressure decisions Decisions you'd expect like some guy under duress or under serious pressure to make but yeah he doesn't have that pressure so it's a, it's a really a, a, like an unusual circumstance in, um, in the decisions he's making
2: you know it's it's worth remembering of course Brian that, that you and I are among the uneducated out there and we don't know the game and that when Alejandro Badoya has played in a defensive midfield position for the first time in his life, that's you know, that's not a big deal. And and in all in all seriousness, folks, and Brian, I'm gonna bring the segment to a close and thanks so much for being on. I'm sure we'll get to, to see each other in person again one of these days. The the, the comments that I make and that others in the media make about Jurgen being condescending and avoiding responsibility and ducking pressure and things like that. The hell with us in the media. You know, we aren't the ones that matter. He is being condescending towards all of you when he is saying that you are uneducated about the game. And I find that to be as troubling as a lot of the other things that we criticize him for, you know, in terms of his manner and things like that. He's he's, he's going after all of you. as he and, and I think that in doing so, he is trying to avoid being held responsible for mistakes that he has made and actions that he has taken. That's just my own opinion. Although Brian, I know you well enough to believe that I have a hunch you might agree with some.
4: Yeah. I mean, I agree with it. I thought that the comments on the gold cup, you know, when he was saying that, that we, that there's a lot of good things to happen at the gold cup. And I mean, you can't just leave it at that. I mean, it was, I mean, these are teams that have the United States has historically pounded. I mean, you got to say, okay, what happened good at the Gold Cup? I and mean, you didn't clarify that. I mean, it was, like I said, you know, you went into, the, like, a long segment about why did Jamaica. Well, forget the Jamaica game. Why were they outshot? Uh, I, I mean, it, it was something like around, like, 72 to 48 in the group stage games, you know, uh, which wasn't. Well, that's not good. I mean, I mean anyone could see that. I mean, so you have to kind of address what's good, what's I mean, it, why are eyes deceiving us? I mean, why is this is? Why is it? Why should we be able to? Why should the US team? Why should America? What are American fans missing? You can't just say they're missing something and then just walk away from it. You gotta. If you're gonna say statements like that, you gotta really. Ex, you know, otherwise it just doesn't look good on his part. Um, I agree. Yeah, that, that those comments. I mean, look. If you want to talk about the education of the American soccer fan, there's ways to say it, which. You know, that, you know, which could be true. You could say something like, "You know, there's a lot of new fans in this game, are growing the game. Now we have to work on their sophistication because they've addressed, they've embraced the game. Now they have to understand the nuances." Fine, you know. I mean, they're, they're, that's 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 true. I mean, there's more are trying, the U.S. is trying to get, we're trying to get more soccer fans in this country, and that takes time. And when they embrace the sport, they got to learn. But it just didn't come across that way. So. um you know, if he's going to if he's going to come out and say these kind of things, uh, he needs to he can't, he has to be really specific. Otherwise, you know, it's going to the condescending route is just going to take over. That's going to be, and then he's just going to start offending people. People aren't even going to listen to him anymore.
2: All right, folks. Brian Sharetta of the New York Times and American Soccer Now and Yanks Abroad. That will do it for today, Brian. I'm sure we'll see each other again soon. Thanks so much for being on.
4: Thanks, Jonathan. Take care, buddy.
2: All right. We'll take a break. We'll come back with Dwayne Rollins of the Canadian Soccer News.
1: When it comes to the USA against Mexico, this game is different. As Michael Bradley puts it, the passion, the colors, the respect, the hate. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me and Jared Dubois this Saturday for the USA versus Mexico broadcast on Rabble.tv at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the USA versus Mexico game on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before or during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. Or why don't you create your own broadcast? Call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Try it out. Join me and Jared this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for the USA versus Mexico on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call.
2: Welcome back to Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald sitting in for, Philly, uh, sitting in for Jason Davis. Jason's back tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern here on the web show and 11 o'clock on Sirius XM. We apologize for the technical difficulties we had in trying to get a hold of Dwayne Rollins, but we have him now. Before I bring him in, a quick note. We have a bit of news coming out of Major League Soccer. The national TV selections for the games on October 18th have been made. You might recall there's some flexible scheduling available to the TV networks on that weekend and on the 25th. ESPN, I'm not sure which channel, but I know that the ESPN networks will take uh, Seattle-Houston at 5 o'clock Eastern time, 2 o'clock Pacific, and then the Fox Sports 1 game after that uh, will be L.A.-Portland. Uh, 7.30 Eastern, I believe, 4.30 Pacific time. Now here is Dwayne Rollins of CanadianSoccerNews.com who had a very good weekend because his beloved Manchester City whacked Newcastle United 6-1 to and his beloved Toronto Blue Jays are going to the baseball playoffs for the first time in 20-some-odd years. Dwayne, good morning.
3: Good morning, Jonathan. Sorry about that uh, dodgy Canadian technology this morning, but we're glad to be on now.
2: We're going to talk about Canadian technology in a moment. Um, the headline in the Sunday, Twain, tell us, what is that act of God going to be? Uh,
3: well, they'd have to lose all of the remaining three games,
2: which in theory,
3: if you look at each individual game, it's, it's impossible. They play Columbus at home, they play the Red Bulls at home, and they end on the road against Montreal. Uh, they would have to have the impact not only beat them in that final game, but also get one other win themselves. And they would have to have Orlando win their remaining two games. So that, that does seem very TFC, but I would have to think that it is a bit absurdly pessimistic at this point to think that TFC will not get the one more point that it requires to finally end the nine-year playoff drought.
2: Happy Toronto sports fan. We, we down here have not encountered this, this species in a good while
3: everything in this city right now, and uh, when you go through a a drought that reaches across sports for many years without success. Uh, as you can right, right imagine, I'm sure there are other cities, Cleveland, Philadelphia, that uh, that have had similar droughts. Uh, the whole city just gets very exciting. So it is nice. And TFC is adding a very small part to that story. Uh, Javinko is, I think, the key story here. A lot of people are focusing on him and his excellence this year more than just the fact that they're sort of grabbing that low-hanging fruit of a playoff berth. But uh, he certainly has made the soccer fans in the city a lot happier than they were in previous years, although TFC fans are are apt to be a little bit miserable at the best of times because of the of the failures of the past, which is why, you know, when when someone like uh, Kurt Larson in the Toronto Sun writes that it will take an act of God, he gets yelled at on social media for, for suggesting that uh this, anything is for sure yet because TFC fans wanna show me, don't tell me is what they want to say wanna want people to say.
2: Well I know Kurt pretty well, Dwayne, as you know as you do as well, and I know that he can take it and he enjoys it. Uh um, yeah. yeah. The other two Canadian teams, we'll we'll take a moment to talk about them. First, the Vancouver Whitecaps, who had a chance to beat San Jose, and then the ball got away from Kakuta Mana as he was racing down the field. I, I don't worry all that much about whether Vancouver is going to make the playoffs. I think they will, but we saw on Saturday night that they do just have that little bit of finishing touch that they still need to make sure that they have in working order, I think.
3: Yeah, I've been beating that drum for a while. That I know the the Whitecaps are a lot of people's darlings, uh, especially sort of the more informed fan that that like to watch Whitecaps games and they play an exciting style, fast style. But they they lack the the killer touch, as you said, in the final third to to really, in my mind, truly be a championship contending team at this point. They are excellent defensively. They are excellent at the back. I have in my mind, they have the best keeper in the league. At least this the keeper that's having the best season this year. So there's a lot to like about the team in terms of their their MLS success, but there's as you said, there's there's just they just need someone to step up and be that finisher. And if they can find that person, and it might have to wait to this offseason, and they may have to open the bank a little bit to to find him, uh, then then this team is one that they could be very dangerous to win a Supporters Shield or or a, a MLS Cup. I think at this point in time, the Whitecaps will be best suited to sort of secure their position and, and not worry about. Uh, Capture that top spot, I think that the schedule is favorable to other teams. I know they, they're still sort of thinking supporters' field, out there, but I, I think they're a year or so away from that.
2: Well, I, look, I think they're going to go to the playoffs, and, and to get a, a home game in the playoffs, and, and perhaps even to win a conference semifinal series, which I think that they're capable of, would be a great accomplishment. And it begs the question, Dwayne, if they play Dallas or Kansas City or Los Angeles in the playoffs, And it will still be early in the hockey season, and folks will, I would hope, be paying attention to the Whitecaps in fairly significant numbers. Would they perhaps have an opportunity to open up that upper deck just the once? I know they don't want to do it against Seattle because they don't want to have 10,000 Sounders fans in the building. But uh, the opportunity is there now, it sounds. I've been there a few times this summer, as people know. I'm far away now, but it sounds like the demand is there. Why don't they give it a shot?
3: Yeah, I, I would hope that, uh, especially if they made that conference semifinal, it's tough to sell tickets in MLS if you're hosting that that play-in game. I think anyone understands that to watch this sleep training period of time when you're trying to, to turn over just your regular amount of tickets in four or five days. That's going to be a challenge. But if you have the full 10 days to sell a home game, then I think there's no reason whatsoever not to open that up and, and not give it a shot anyway. They can draw, they have it open for the CFL game. CFL is a little more popular out there than it is in this part of where I am in Toronto. But uh, they do get close to twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven thousand in there for the CFL. I would think that they could do something similar for for MLS, if not fill it completely for what would be an historic game for the for the club and, and for Canadian soccer uh, in, in the new era. There hasn't been a home playoff game uh, in Canada, of course, for uh, any of the Canadian teams.
2: Well, you know, I, w- I was there for the Women's World Cup, so I have some visual evidence that those scrims can be retracted as i've seen it happen um i just you know i remember when tfc played la in the Concacaf champions league at the rogers center and they papered over the house with a bunch of free cheap tickets you know but why not
3: yeah they well i'll say this jonathan i had friends in that i had to get tickets to the last minute for that la game and they weren't cheap for me I wasn't getting them free, and I had to pay them off of uh, the secondary market, and they they were going for over $100. I can tell you that with with absolute uh, certainty because I paid them. Um, uh, Yeah, excitement can build. That that game was a bit unique in the fact that uh, it's still amongst the general population here in Toronto, referred to not as the Cap Champions League, Quarterfinals. It's referred to as the David Beckham game at the Dome. So you have got to take that into consideration on how those tickets sold that that particular day. It was a unique sort of you know perfect storm here. But uh, yeah, if they make the playoffs, Canada, Canadian fans I think are very focused on a playoff berth. It's been such a like the, the thing that they couldn't achieve forever that there would be a big deal, a big burst of energy if they were to get there. But like I said, you need I think the full week to sell it. Uh, the same thing would happen with any of the other two markets that they were to host one. In my mind.
2: Well, you talked about Vancouver not having the finisher. We know that the Montreal Impact have the finisher in Didier Drogba. And it looks to me like they're going to make it over the line, Dwayne, even though they lost in Orlando over the weekend. The schedule plays out fairly well for them in the weeks to come. Um, And I would imagine that to have Didier Drogba in the MLS playoffs is going to be fairly nice.
3: Oh, yeah, that's exactly what you need. And I've been beating this drum for a while is that how you win in MLS playoffs is to have that killer finisher. If you do just enough in the rest of the, the, your lineup to keep things solid, to keep things consistent, and you have a guy that can step up and win a game or score a goal on his own out of the blue, create something on their own, then you have a chance in any short uh, tie series. The impact as well, to me, are a really dangerous team in an MLS Cup playoff scenario. Also, not only because of the drug effect, but because of the experience they have going through a series of two-game ties in this spring. This is a battle-hardened team that knows how to sort of grind out and get results, draw pick draws on the road, do just enough to get through those two-game ties. So I wouldn't want to face the impact in, in two games. And with where he gets on form... There's no, to me, there's no ceiling to that club if they can get a little bit of luck as well. They could win the MLS Cup if they squeak in in that sixth seed. I think they are going to get in the sixth seed, and maybe you can argue that they, they didn't want to give Toronto FC a favor at their arch this weekend by clinching the playoff spot for the best, <laughs> That's the theory we're going with now. But, um, yeah, I, I think the impact are incredibly dangerous, and if I were going to bat on one of the three Canadian teams on doing something really deep, really. Special, it would be them at this point based on their form, based on drug, but based on that experience in the CCL this spring
2: well Dwayne it raises the possibility of one of the potential Armageddons for Canadian soccer along with them uh, beating the United States in a World Cup qualifier or even making the World Cup uh-huh. which is the very real possibility now in fact perhaps even a likelihood that all three Canadian teams are going to make the playoffs. And as you and I have discussed on your show, the Two Solitudes podcast, in the past, this is a very big deal for Major League Soccer, and it should be seen as a big deal for American fans of MLS, even if it means that there's a little dent in the ratings because the Canadian teams don't draw in the Nielsens quite uh, as well as the American teams do. And here is why. And, Dwayne, I want to sort of reprise the conversation that you and I had on your show a couple of weeks ago. Sure. Folks know down here that TSN is the the national rights holder for major league soccer in Canada. They see the broadcasts on MLS live. Uh, they see that they do a great job producing the games. They see the talent is wonderful. Luke Weiland, Jason DeVos, Vic Router, Christian Jack, Pete Shad, Carol Lang, the list goes on and on and on and on. And I know some of the guys who work behind the scenes who work in production because I've met them when they have been up there. TSN's deal with MLS expires after the 2016 season, and the way the television rights negotiations work, they don't just get done at the drop of a hat, they take a while. So I would imagine that they will begin before the 2016 season ends, which means that the most recent playoffs, when these negotiations begin... The most recent high-profile games when these negotiations begin will have had all three Canadian teams in the playoffs playing games on the TSN networks. And Dwayne, I that TSN at this point in time is not necessarily inclined to write MLS a big check in the way that ESPN and Fox and Univision have. I also know, as you have reported, that TSN is a major player in the forthcoming launch of this Canadian league. The perfect storm is coming together, Dwayne, and I think TSN is going to have a lot of leverage over MLS going into these negotiations because they, in my opinion, are the right place for MLS to be, perhaps the only place for MLS to be. They know it. MLS knows it. And Rogers, which runs Sportsnet, which is the other major uh, sports network in Canada, I think Rogers knows it, too.
3: Yeah, it, it does seem likely. I mean, Rogers has so much hockey. Um, I, I was looking through the ratings before we did this interview, and you, you look at the even the preseason ratings—they're tripling that of what an MLS regular season game is in terms of hockey. So. You know, you got to know where your bread's buttered, right? And then Sportsnet's bread bread is clearly buttered on on the hockey side of things. All of their talent. You look at their on air talent, the money they spent, the production talent, the money they spend it. It's it's mostly geared towards hockey. And when you spend billions of dollars, literally billions of dollars, on a product, then it makes sense you're going to promote it. So, PSN does have some leverage here, especially as I said. When you look at the PSN numbers right now, there's the highest drawing uh, MLS game this year has been about three hundred thousand. That was in uh, Vancouver. Toronto game, most of them get around 100 to 150,000 viewers, which isn't terrible, but it's not not a number that's going to demand that they write a check, as you say. So if TSA, or sorry, if MLS wants to, to ex- continue to expand into that Canadian market and grab that Canadian sponsorship, and I think that that's where the, the American viewer that doesn't necessarily look at things too deeply might not understand is the amount of money that is potentially available in, in Canada through the sponsorship end of things through just expanding that brand. It, it's, I think, a much bigger growth uh, possibility there than, than you might find in certain parts of the United States where they, they've been doing it for longer and maybe maxed it out a little bit more. So yeah, there there is a lot of leverage there and it is an important um, deal for, for both the league and for Canadian soccer fans. It just depends in my mind and I question how much uh, you know, whether TSM might overplay that, that yet. Now, when it comes to the Canadian league, Jonathan, that just, so I think it's important for listeners to understand is that the, as you said, their partners, the CFL is the majority, CFL owners are the majority partners behind most of the, the speculation within the Canadian league, um, Launch so they are they are going to want to tie that product into their their CFL product to grow them together and that's why tfn is interested in going into a fledging league and perhaps providing more support behind it than than an American league that happens to have three Canadian teams in it.
2: I'll make one quick point on the on the Sportsnet bit before responding to what you just said, which is that to me I see Sportsnet's hockey coverage in the way that I do college football on ABC and ESPN. When people ask why there are never Saturday national TV games or, you know, in the playoffs or whatever on these networks, there's no room. There is no room when the ho- when hockey, uh, you know, just consumes everything, or when college football just consumes everything. You put your games on the network that has the space, and if ESPN says we have the space on Sunday and we're going to give you the money to put them where we have the space, you take it. And you know, TSN has the space. They are positioning themselves with. All due respect to the soccer work that, that Sportsnet does, they're positioning themselves as the soccer network in Canada, Dwayne, because they have the Champions League, the FIFA contract, half the Premier League and MLS. And this is to the po- now to the point that you just made. The Canadian League is important, but MLS has a beachhead in the three largest Canadian cities, and they do tend to dominate the conversation, the birthplace of your prime minister notwithstanding. Um, and as I said, I've said to you before, right now, even if in reality this Canadian league is only going to be a complement to MLS, because unless the teams spend that amount of money that the MLS teams do, I, I cannot see the next Sebastian Jaminko come in and playing in Calgary or Winnipeg. I just can't. He's going to go play in Toronto. And TFC has the money and the Impact have the money and the Whitecaps have the money. And this Canadian League is going to be important. But the reason why it's, it has the potential to be a threat to MLS is because it is going to be cast by a certain segment of what I will call the purest community in Canadian soccer as the more authentic experience. For any number of reasons. And that is a threat to MLS, whether or not there are big teams in this league, in in this Canadian League, in Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver, because if the CSL is see excuse me, I shouldn't use that word, should I? If the Canadian League is cast as the more authentic experience and the Canadian Soccer Association backs it, there's an end game. If the Canadian Soccer Association keeps getting angry at MLS, and that is the MLS teams eventually being compelled to get out of MLS and go to that Canadian league, and I know you disagree with me on that on some, to some degree, but I have to put it on the table so that people understand.
3: Yeah, the, the, I have always felt and have been told indirectly that uh, that there might be a secondary play with the Canadian league, and that is to provide to get some leverage towards MLS to open up the. Uh, the domestic debate again, which is something that's greatly—we've talked about it before on, on various platforms—that greatly frustrates a lot of people within Canadian soccer. that Canadian players aren't considered domestic players in the United States. The American fans, the American teams, will often say that that's a legal issue. Uh, it's that—that's not a—that's not entirely uh, believed up here. There, there is examples that we could point to and other leagues, USL being one that that don't necessarily count. Uh, Canadians as, as international players, so we're not entirely certain whether the, the legal argument flies, but yes, I have heard the possibility that the Canadian League could also be um, wanting to be put in play to, to put leverage on MLS to make it truly Canada's Division One League, because right now, as I said earlier, the way I classified it, an American League with three Canadian teams in it, is a better way to describe it than Canadians' Division One League, because if you're not, if your players aren't getting access to positions outside of the, the nine guaranteed spots and it's only nine in the entire league then it's hard to argue that it's that it's overall beneficial from a csa player development standpoint so that's it's great for the markets and it's great for the fans in those markets and it provides a high-end high-end entertainment product in those markets but it's not necessarily the best development model and i think that that's really largely where the csa movement is coming from here it's also tied into the possibility of a 2026 World Cup birth, or bid, I should say, although no one really knows what's happening with that. Now the FIFA's blowing up, but that's it's all tied in like that, Jonathan, and TSM, uh, you know, as I said, it, it's another product for their CFL owners to try and enhance their brand, and that's, I think they're looking at it as a bit of a stadium improvement play, as a as a bit of a good citizenship in their market play to just increase their foothold there. There's a lot of money behind the, 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 CS, the C-League uh, idea more than people think. But yes, you're right. It won't have Jabancos in it. It would have second-tier Americans and some Canadian internationals and maybe the type of international player that's currently attracted to the NASL. That's the type of lineup that you'd be looking at.
2: Well, and this is where I think sorry I got interrupted there for a minute my beloved Washington Nationals which, unlike your Blue Jays, are not in the playoffs. <laughs> Uh, have just fired, finally, their manager, Matt Williams, and I am very happy about this. Um, this is where, Dwayne, TSN has the leverage in a big way because I think there are a lot of fans down here who really don't care that much either way, whether Canadians are counted as domestics and with the American teams in Major League Soccer. And also, perhaps just as importantly, see the Canadian Soccer Association, as a potential and necessary ally of the United States Soccer Federation in its attempt... uh, It comes back to... And traffic using Canada to get back at the United States were trying to bid for 2022 or 26 or whatever, so on, blah. If you make the CSA happy and give them this one thing that they want, so many other good things can come back to MLS... And, Amer- and, the U- and American soccer and the U.S. Soccer Federation and all that because of it. And I know that Victor, Ma- Victor Matagliani has told me that he gets along well with Sunil Gallati in general. And I believe him, but I know that they disagree in a very big way on this particular issue. So here is where TSN has the leverage. If MLS wants TSN to write a big check and MLS wants TSN to broadcast more games not involving the Canadian teams, they do some, you know, they simulcast some uh, ESPN and Fox games. I gather, though, that RDS isn't simulcasting any this year. Wow. And 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 that's the French language network that, that Bell owns, for those who don't know. Um, and that is a way to help the Canadian fans learn about the rest of MLS, which is a criticism, Dwayne, that you and I both have. That the Canadian fans in general, they root great wonderfully for their own teams but they don't know enough about the rest of major league soccer. If they want more games on the TSN networks, because there are five channels now they can do it. And if they want TSN to take over the secondary digital, the the out of market digital rights for online streaming in the way that ESPN has done down here so that they can get the U S version of it on the ESPN three and the Canadian version of it on the TSN go, maybe have a subscription to the side of it for those who don't have cable, but, Expand the access to those games, again, as a teaching tool by making them free with authentication for the viewers up there and the viewers down here, which they aren't doing right now. If MLS wants all of those things and they go to TSN, Bell can say, "Okay, here's what we want. We want, on behalf of the Canadian Soccer Association, we want you to count Canadian players as domestics on American teams. And you start bargaining from there, don't
3: you? Yeah, I, I think that the other angle that uh, that may be wanted in that, with, if you look at these CFL owners, which again are guys with, with a good amount of uh, payroll behind them, I've heard the Calgary Flames may be involved, I've also heard that they, uh, the owner of the Edmonton Oilers has made feelings towards uh, buying uh, FC Edmonton and, and looking that, to use that as a launch to get into a higher level of game. And in their mind, that higher level of game... Isn't necessarily the C League, so there might also be a play to eventually add a fourth Canadian team in there, which is a much more different conversation. But uh, and probably for a few years down the line, but that I think would also be part of any sort of uh, requirements to to drop the Canadian League idea is to make sure that these investors have have some opportunity or, or at least given equal consideration to some of these American markets. And I'm not sure that's going to play south of the border as well as it would up here. Um, in terms of the domestics, yeah, you nailed it. it it's the USSF. Anything we've ever heard, Is it, it, there's a protection element within that that's a very strong lobby there that, that resists the idea of adding Canadians. It wouldn't really offend many American fans right now, but if Canada would ever get its stuff together and is competitive with the U.S. in, in World Cup qualifying, then maybe it would start to rub people the wrong way. So that's where that resistance comes from. But, uh, yeah, the Canadian side of the things would need to... M- would, they've learned, I think, from uh, from bringing in Toronto and not demanding and not requiring enough. And Canada didn't have very much leverage when they brought TFC into the, into the play. Maybe they think they have a bit more now because I think that that's the key. They would need to make sure that their own needs are being protected a little bit more than they were when they first brought the Canadian teams in. Because as I said a, a moment ago, it's been great for the markets, it's been great for the fans, it's a great entertainment product here, but it hasn't necessarily been great for Canadian soccer overall, and that's, that's a problem that needs to be addressed and tweaked, and it doesn't necessarily need to be blown up, but it does need to be
2: tweaked. tweaked. I'm going uh, to push back on one thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's been very good for soccer in Canada, but I don't think it's been as good for the Canadian national team. That's the difference. Sure. And Although I, think, I, think I think it has helped the market. Canadian national team, but not to the degree that you want.
3: No, and certainly what we were promised in 2006, where it was held up as this be-all, end-all that was going to fix things, and people don't understand. They think the NPS offers bad right now. It, it was a disaster at that point. There was no hope, no infrastructure, no professional opportunities whatsoever in this country. MLS came in, and it absolutely was not necessary to get that, to get that momentum going forward. And if it wasn't for the early days of TFC and the success that that brought, you wouldn't. I don't think you'd see any level close to what we have right now, and I'd include the the NASL teams that have come on board since that day as well into that, and it all stems from the success that came from that, and there is undoubtedly, as I think I said to you on, on my show, there there are some people in Canada that Canada that don't give the MLS enough credit in this front, but I do think that there needs to be some tweaking at this particular time for, for Canada to make sure that its own needs are being met a little bit better than they are right now.
2: And I, I want to say also, Dwayne, because, I, look, I don't know that there is another Canadian market that can really sustain an MLS team. Ottawa is the closest, I think. Um, but that's my, you know, you have some rivalry with Montreal and Toronto. I, I'm not sure Edmonton can pull it off. That's, you know, that's my own personal opinion. But I do know a lot of people in Canada who are who are pretty seasoned in the Canadian game who are also not necessarily convinced that there's another Canadian market that's big enough to sustain an MLS team. And it is for that reason that I say I don't think anybody down here is against the existence of a Canadian league. I just think that if if I'm thinking from Major League Soccer's perspective, I'm trying to make sure that I'm still at the top of the hierarchy in Canada with the Canadian league then also. And my argument to the Canadian league point is people watch junior hockey in Canada by the millions. So I'm not worried about a Canadian league with a lot of Canadian players in it, even that they're not necessarily at the very top. I'm not worried about a Canadian league succeeding.
3: Yeah, I think it would find its level. Um, I, you see the success in Ottawa, which is growing pretty steadily and very successful on the pitch as well, obviously. Um, you know, in terms of the MLS market, you're right. You, you're never going to see MLS in Regina or something like that. But uh, Calgary, I think, would be the, the market that they would be most targeting. But at any rate, it, I, you know, a Canadian league would, would – I, I Americans shouldn't be upset about a Canadian league because it would actually provide a lot of opportunity for American players to continue to play as well because it wouldn't 100% be filled up with Canadians, right? So if it would, I think, be a good thing for the overall North American pyramid to have it here. But MLS absolutely – and understandably, we'll want to protect its commercial interests in this country because there is money in this country to be made. Uh, the game within context is at least as popular as it is in the United States, and arguably it might be more popular within a contextual level if you look at the numbers and sort of understand the percentage of Canadians that enjoy the game. So it is a very important market commercially for MLS. there's no doubt.
2: You know, we, we used to wonder whether there were enough players out there to fill rosters of MLS teams as the league kept expanding. And then, you know, the lower division teams and the NASL teams and the USL teams and the Canadian league teams and so on and so forth. I would argue that as MLS expands, I look at the players who are in the NASL now, and not, not that all of them are MLS caliber players, certainly there are a lot of them who tried to make it an MLS or did not, or who are older veterans who are on the way towards the end of their careers. And we're, you know, we're signed by by NASL teams to make some headlines, which they have done successfully. The player pool is big enough. And MLS, as it expands, is big enough to be able to accommodate Canadians as domestics and have enough of the Americans. You know, you've got the USL teams that these these organizations have. I I think that, that the player pool is there to be able to make this move. And I actually think that the headache ultimately, whether or not it's protectionism by U.S. soccer against Canada specifically, Dwayne, as I've said already, the politics of it, I think, are in the U.S. Soccer Federation's interest to make this move. The bigger headache potentially might come when the Honduran and Jamaican and Costa Rican federations come along and say, hey, can we get the same treatment? And I think the answer to that is going to be, well, we don't have teams in your country. But that – do you think that's a fair assertion, Dwayne, that that might be ultimately where the headache is?
3: Yeah, and I think you've seen MLS make some moves to try and protect that region and and make it their own, which then may make – I'm thinking of the the Caribbean Combine for for one specific instance that MLS has reached out and tried to get into that region. So you could definitely see people down there – Saying things like that, or even ultimately asking to see if it's possible to get a team down there as well, as expansion seems limitless at this particular time. People can molest at any rate, so there is, I think, some, some concerns there, and it might be about that. I, I would imagine it's hard to really, if you take a step back and take all of the emotion out of it, it, is hard to argue against the idea of Canadians being considered domestics in their own league? In my mind, anyway, or, and I make the bias when I say that. I don't think from talking to American fans that most of them would, if any, by In fact that that I talk to are, when they take a step back and think about it, it's not something that English is going to want, but when they do, they go, yeah, that seems fair. So I don't think there'd be a lot of resistance, but you're right. There is that slippery slope kind of argument against it. If it's going to open it up for Canada, maybe it's going to open it up for Jamaica or Trinidad or, or what have you, and, and obviously the, the big one would be Mexico, whether I mean, you kind of offer access or equal access there, or sort of NAFTA of, of soccer, and I'm not sure anyone's ready to see what that looks like just yet.
2: Well, and and as I said, I think the fairly easy argument is, hey, we have teams in Canada, that's the end of that, and I don't think MLS has any particular need to expand into Costa Rica or Jamaica or whatever. you want, if nothing else, let's build up the cop Champions League first. Let's start with that. Uh, Dwayne, let's take two predictions from you. One, uh, are all three Canadian teams going to make the playoffs? Yes. Two. Uh, which network will be broadcasting Major League Soccer in
3: 2017? Uh, TSN with regional broadcast being farmed out like this. I think that the scenario will look very similar to what it is today.
2: And I I, I want to note, by the way, as, as TSN, even if TSN would want, for example, to have all of the MLS games, uh, every Canadian MLS game in their portfolio, they probably can't because... TFC's owner, Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, is jointly owned by Rogers, and they're going to want some games. And the Montreal Impact have one of their as one of their big corporate sponsors, Videotron, which, if I'm not mistaken, Dwayne, is linked to Quebecor, which owns TVA Sports, which is the other French language sports network that carries the impact games. Uh, so those aren't going anywhere. Um, bonus question. Sure. Can we get the out-of-market digital rights for MLS games into TSN Go in 2016?
3: Well, right now on TSN Go, you can watch all of FC Edmonton's and uh, the Ottawa Fury games. So the technology is there so to add that. I would, I would suggest based on that, um, is there interest? I don't know why there wouldn't be to expand the TSN Go platform, which right now I don't think necessarily has as big a foothold as it potentially could.
2: Well, believe it or not, we agree on some things. How about that? Dwayne Rollins of Canadian Soccer News, thank you as always. Um, you know, I'm going to be awfully tempted to come up there if TFC hosts a playoff game on a weekend. I've got to see whether I can pull it off.
3: But it uh, to I, think, I think a lot, of,
2: a lot of folks down here would love to be at BMO Field for a playoff game just to have the experience of it. Dwayne, thank you kindly. We'll talk again soon. Cheers. We will take a quick break, and then I'm going to have a few words to say when we come back. I I don't want the show to go to full two hours today. I've taken up enough of your time over the last few days. I do have something that I want to say when we come back, and then we'll take a couple of questions from Twitter as well. This is Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com.
1: When it comes to the USA against Mexico, this game is different. As Michael Bradley puts it, the passion, the colors, the respect, the hate. Soccer Morning listeners, I'd like to invite you to join me and Jared Dubois this Saturday for the USA versus Mexico broadcast on Rabble.tv at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, 6.30 p.m. Pacific. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the USA versus Mexico game on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to me and Jared on your desktop, through your iOS Android app, or through your mobile browser. Plus, before or during the game, you can join in by posting your questions or observations in the comment section. Or why don't you create your own broadcast? Call one of your team's games. It's easy. Sign up for free today. Try it out. Join me and Jared this Saturday at 9.30 p.m. Eastern for the USA versus Mexico on Rabble.tv where it's your team and your call.
2: All right, welcome back to Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald from Philly.com. Sitting in the chair for Jason Davis one more time before he comes back from vacation tomorrow. I'm scrolling through Twitter here because we got some questions coming in and we're not uh, no calls this time around sorry folks but we do have a lot of questions from twitter and i want to be able to get us out on time today from rob in southern california will you talk about the chelsea women winning the english league and pulling off the double they also won the fa cup i certainly will congratulations to emma hayes their manager who was very well known uh, by a lot of folks in the american women's soccer community over here Uh, who are very, very happy for her today. Why doesn't the U.S. have a U.S. Open Cup for women? That's a great question. I think we need some time to build up the infrastructure a little more before we do that and make sure that there are enough teams that can really compete. I keep scrolling through here. I hope the goalkeeper talks about Orlando City. Love has been little. Well, they won on Saturday. And a big win, too. Uh, Their playoff hopes are still alive. And we will see... Uh, if they can make it, although I think that they really need a lot of help from the Canadian teams that they are not going to get. We continue to scroll through here from Rob again. Why doesn't Fox cross-promote the Bundesliga with its other sports like NBC does with the EPL? Only time you see promotions of MLS in the Bundesliga and uh, Champions League games are on during uh, the other soccer broadcast. The English Premier League is on during... Um, the hockey and the football and the other things, the NBC broadcast. I can't answer that question very easily because I just don't watch enough of Fox's other programming, especially their football and their studio shows. That is my own personal preference. Uh, I don't ask it of anybody else. So it is not a question that I'm easily able to answer. Um, but you know, that, that is for, for Fox to consider. Certainly. From Greg Plefka, the similarities between Jurgen Klinsman and Chip Kelly, the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, whose team is one and three and is a dumpster fire right now, are numerous and shocking. Oh, boy. You know, that, that one, I'm not much of an Eagles fan, but I certainly can see it. And uh, both of those guys have a lot of questions to answer, and both of those guys are not necessarily inclined to answer questions. And we have one more question here from a reader. When will there be promotion and relegation in American soccer? And you all know that I've been asked that question quite a few times as I've been in the host's chair uh, over the course of the last few days. And I've been thinking about it a little bit over the weekend because I sort of had a hunch that I was going to get asked again today. And, you know, people think in order to compel the owners of mls clubs to spend more money and to spend money more wisely so that they are more competitive and we had something happen last week that i think refutes that in a way in the sense of and i look i said last week i'm not against promotion and relegation but i hate the fact that you're either a zealot or a heretic when you talk when we're talking about it and there's no middle ground Promotion and relegation is a way, but I don't think it is the way and I certainly don't think it is the morally superior way. And as I said a moment ago, we had an example last week of something that succeeded in compelling change with an MLS team without it being relegated. And that was the dismissal of Nick Sakevich from the Philadelphia Union. And I got a, a, a note from a listener over the weekend saying, please don't let it be Union morning on Monday. I understand that, but they were the, the Union were the big newsmaker last week in firing a guy who is very well known around Major League Soccer because he has had 20 years of experience in the league in various ways, including across three different clubs, two of which were in the biggest markets in the country, and he's won a total of zero trophies in his career. And so he was dismissed from the Philadelphia Union on Friday. And my colleague, John Smallwood, wrote a terrific column uh, in the weekend edition of the Philadelphia Daily News that I'm going to read to you. And here it is. I went out and got a copy of the paper. This, folks, is a newspaper. You might not have encountered one before. They are a strange species. They are a diminishing species, I realize. But uh, their native habitats are convenience stores and pharmacies and supermarkets and train and bus stations. And they they, uh, they may well be in existence where you are if you happen to be at any place like that. You might encounter one. And, and they're, they're very useful things. You know, they're portable. They're easy to carry with you. You can wrap things with them. You can stuff boxes with them. And you can even consider reading them every now and again. And you might even find some things in them that are of interest to you. And so I will open the paper to uh, John's column. Here it is. The headline, as you can see, Fans Have a Voice, CEO Sakevich Out. And I'll read to you a couple of excerpts from John's column. This sacking was not solely because of a multi-season revolt by union fans frustrated with Sakevich's leadership, but the demonstrative nature of their protests had more impact than any story or column from the media. Union fans did not let management sleep uh, sleep quietly. And then John quotes uh, Jay Sugarman, the CEO of the Philadelphia, the CEO, sorry, Nick was the CEO. John uh, quotes the the chairman, the the principal owner of the Philadelphia Union, Jay Sugarman, who spoke with reporters in a conference call on Friday afternoon. Our counsel was to try to ignore the uninformed rants or the flamethrowers, Sugarman said, But when fans are telling you a message that is thoughtful, they've put in the work and are asking honest questions. You need to give them honest answers. The fan input is an important input. It is never good when your fans aren't happy. And I do take that as one of the signals that we've got to do better. (sighs) Uh, John then notes later, while it can be debated how much of the union's failure, is actually attributable to Sakevich The amount of blame he got from the fans was not, and he cites as examples the protest earlier this year at PPL Park, in which the union fans carried a coffin which bore a photo of Nick's resemblance and the mess, of, which bore a photo of Nick Sakevich and the message inside: serial franchise killer. And we might also remember at the end of last season, the banner that was raised in the River End with the tombstones of the Union, the Mutiny, and the Metro stars, and a depiction of Nick Sikiewicz as the Grim Reaper. John, my, my colleague, John Smallwood, equates this with the Phillies' decision to fire uh, much disliked general manager Ruben Amaro earlier this year. And John Middleton, uh, the, the principal owner of the Phillies, stated in a press conference that he held in one of his first-ever public appearances that the fact that the fans were upset was a factor in the dismissal that could not be ignored, even if obviously results were the big factor and direction was the big factor, um, the fan voice mattered. And John writes, while the Phillies fired general manager, Ruben Amaro Jr., last month, team executives conceded that fans would not accept Amaro back while at the same time, time being asked to believe the team was moving in a new and positive direction. The same thing applied to the union. And John notes, although Sikhevich constantly tried to downplay his role, union fans knew who called the shots in soccer operations. And also that like the Phillies with Amaro Sugarman knew union fans would not take seriously Talk of a culture change with Sikhevich still running the soccer operations. Um, Sugarman did say last November that the union were going to hire a sporting director. They still have not. They struck out multiple times in their attempt to do so. And it would indeed have taken away some of the power that Sikhevich held. And John Smallwood concludes, often thin-skinned, Sikhevich occasionally got into heated debates on social media with fans. I would note And in addition to social media, he also got into heated debates in person with fans. And he got into heated debates with me many times in person by text message on the phone. Uh, He threatened to sue me for libel once. He threatened to ban me from the press box earlier this year for my criticism of him. And John concludes he, he became a Napoleonic figure whom union fans through action and words showed they would no longer tolerate. You did it, Union fans. You did it. You got your message through with the right mix of dissent when it was required and apathy when it was required because all those empty seats at PPL Park and the decline in renewals of season tickets, those certainly spe- send a strong message too. And I would say to folks in Chicago, where there was a front office upheaval and Nelson Rodriguez is coming in and I think that's one of the smartest hires an MLS team has made uh, in a good while. To folks in Denver is another good example. Even to folks in Portland where I know a lot of people want Gavin Wilkinson out and have for a long time. I don't know enough about the situation to know whether that's the right move to make or not. But I certainly know a lot of people uh, who want him out. In Montreal, where Rip Many times the ultras have protested against Nick DeSantis and raised banners in their section, calling for him to be removed as the team's sporting director. And even if it was a lateral move within the impacts front office, they went out and hired Adam Braz as a sporting director. And they did reduce the amount of power that Nick DeSantis has Certainly, he'll still plays a role. He helped bring Didier Drug in. That seems pretty clear. But there was a change in the front office and a change in responsibilities. And Joey Saputo heard you. Yes, folks, promotion and relegation is one way. But it is not the only way. It is not the morally superior way. You are heard by your clubs. You are heard at Major League Soccer headquarters in New York, perhaps more even than you realize, perhaps more even than they sometimes admit, and I wish that they would admit it more because I know they hear you and I know they listen to you. And they do a hell of a lot better job listening to you, by the way, certainly than the National Hockey League does, and I think than the National Football League does perhaps too. Keep it up, and you will succeed. I really believe that. And that is my message to you. As I sign off from the host chair here in Soccer Morning, it's been I hosted. It is on a happy note. My dear friend and a friend of this show for a long time, Jeff Kasouf of NBC Sports and Equalizer Soccer, got married over the weekend. A very public and heartfelt congratulations to him. Uh, a guy who I have traveled the roads of women's soccer with many, many times over the years. Uh, and I am very, very happy for him, as I know all of us at Soccer Morning are. So that is it from me here in the host chair on Soccer Morning. Jason Davis is back tomorrow. This is Soccer Morning on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Thank you all for watching and listening.
0: Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen